Hello and welcome to In at the Side. I'm JK and I'm joined by the usual people of Neil Williamson and Don Hardman, not only Andrew Gomesall, MBE. Andrew, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Yes, four months into lockdown and still surviving. <laughs> Enjoying the lockdown hair or have you uh, had the... the yeah, uh, my, my, wife, my wife took the scissors and I, I swear I was going to lose my ears. <laughs> <laughs> She was pretty brutal, um, and I was I was I was really looking forward to um, to showcasing a fantastic Argentinian mullet, um, proper old school. Um, yeah, Diego Albanese turned up at Gloucester with a with a like full sort of short hair and this fantastic mullet here, and uh, I had I had envy. So I've been trying to grow it, but no, it's all gone. Uh, we still some, this is a bit of a long bit going at the back though once you just shaved the sides and uh, yeah. started again <laughs> my, uh, my colleagues here have decided they'd shaved theirs off completely and... well mine was actually it's almost like I knew this was going to happen because I did mine about a week before lockdown uh, before everyone decided to do it through necessity I decided to do it through choice so uh, yeah I don't know, I don't know what happened there <laughs> bad times so how have you been keeping busy during the lockdown uh, obviously Businessman yourself, uh, director of your, uh, is it your father's company it was? Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, have you been keeping busy with with work or has there been other things keeping busy with? Yeah, I mean, we, we were in lockdown pretty early. So um, we took the, I've got three daughters, and we took them out of school. So um, the, the, the 14 year olds kind of get on with it, but the, the seven year old needed homeschooling. So I, I tried for one day and failed miserably <laughs> my wife. <laughs> My wife took it on, um, and um, so yeah, it's been full on at home. But also, business-wise, I mean, it, it it absolutely kind of smacked you in the face uh, with catastrophe. Um, especially, I'm in a services business, so you know we earn our revenue through uh, logistics and people. And when you put, you know, you stop that, you close the doors. Um, you know, I was you know, pretty much 80% of my revenue gone. Um, and I, I spent a lot of time last year forecasting and I just ripped that up. Um, it was, it was brutal, absolutely brutal. But actually what sport teaches you, you know, you kick off, you got this fantastic plan to play the opposition and beat them. And then, um, you know, I think it was, it was, uh, Mike, Mike Tyson, isn't it a famous quote? You know, you, you have a plan and then you get smacked in the face and it goes out the window. You know? And you literally just have to react so quickly. So that's that's kind of one of my, uh, you know, reasons for being in the company. And um, we flipped very quickly and uh, we did really well. And this is the kind of last month till we're all back from furlough. So I've got 65 staff. And um, it's been tough and, and longer hours. Um, you know, you think working from home would be a bit more cushy, but actually it's the reverse, um, especially when you're a you know, business owner, uh, the responsibility. And I've had sleepless nights, I must admit. It's been really, really tough. Sleepless nights in sport, but also in business. So it's, uh, I'm, we're still here and we're still doing, you know, pretty well. And everyone's coming back. And the, for us, in terms of services, the doors are opening. So... There's a lot to look forward to. And I think this whole period has been a good thing for, for um, the rest of our lives, really. I really think it's yeah. been a good thing, although it's been a challenge. It's been a really good thing. I just feel for the people that have really um, uh, suffered, you know, um, whether family ill, 
loss loss through covid or, or loss of job or anything it, it, it's yeah it's it's i'm i'm blessed yeah i mean what we've got to remember is is that i'm sure all of us are in better positions than a lot of people out there you know um i'm yes i might be moaning that i'm on furlough and i'm bored but a if someone had said to me four months ago or six months ago right someone's going to pay you 80 percent of your wages to sit at home i can bring it on yeah okay um but it's it's got to the point now where i think a lot of people are feeling the strain a little bit because it's gone on so long yeah um but it's yeah that we've kind of got to remember that there are people out there that haven't worked and haven't been able to get any money or anything coming in. Yeah, so really, we're really, all quite fortunate. Yeah, really, really um, stressful. And myself being in technology, you kind of COVID's really highlighted the the lack of well, there is a massive digital poverty. Over half mm. the world's population doesn't have access to the internet. And just in my staff, including in Hereford, because I some of the deepest, darkest Hereford. <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> no word of a lie, no word of a lie. Do, 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 a, do a campaign for me, do a campaign for me. I'll get you some kit, don't worry. I mean, it, it's literally, but it's you, you realize how, um, yeah, how lucky uh, we are and how fortunate. And yeah, as you say, furlough, you know, um, you're sort of. You're, it's proactive and it's a positive that you stay at home and don't do anything, right? I mean, it's incredible. Um, when yeah. when would we have ever thought that would have been the case? But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I think everyone is ready to get back. But it's, it'll be a different. It'll it's totally changed. It'll be a different go back to work, especially mm -hmm. in business. And I think um, obviously I work in um, in the information security sector. And obviously, we talk a lot about business continuity and obviously getting those plans and uh, I think there's a running joke at the moment now um, within within our sector and it's so who dictated your business continuity plans the CEO the CFO the CISO no COVID <laughs> it's literally it blows all directors out the water and go actually your business continuity plan it was COVID yeah and, and that's the new norm it's literally correct getting it I think if you take the positives away from this situation it has shown how weak and fragile certain industries really were yeah and i think it gives them a kick up the butt to sort it and plan for the future because this sort of thing will happen again there has been pandemics in the past and there will be pandemics again however a modern day pandemic hasn't happened where we've got this technological advancements where we've got employment where it's at and technology where it's at so this has been a great thing to get that going yeah uh, you that's going to change your outlook in your business yeah, but hundred percent. I mean, we, we're lucky, you know, being small, I, I tip my hat to those um, leaders, you know, leadership teams, board members in, you know, a hundred thousand employee company, mm -hmm. um, you know, how to, how you have to deal with that. Incredible. You know, having to deal with 65 was tough enough, let alone uh, tens of thousands of people. But I think it, it also just, um, it's a real, another smack in the face in terms of, yeah, we were, I certainly was, and I think arguably the government were as well, blase about it. You know, you say this is the first sort of major pandemic and experience that we've all had. It won't certainly be for my children now. This is kind of the new norm. But yeah, I, th I think once we, you know, we'd heard about it October, November last year, and yet we just went about our business and kept going. And, you know, I, I do commute into into the city and... I do not miss being a sardine on the on the tube, you know. Um, yeah, just incredible that we kept going and kept going. Um, 
it's no coincidence we're you know we're right up there aren't we in terms of you know mm. how many uh people have been affected um infected so um yeah just incredibly blasé and now you watch the hollywood films back in the day and it's um it's a huge reality so yeah. it is a new normal business life everything it's a, it's a new normal and do you think that, um, and obviously, like we've, we've touched on, business is going to be affected massively for years to come, if not forever, because of this. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Do you see the rugby landscape changing similarly? I think, yeah, rugby, obviously, just, just in general sports. I mean, I'm watching, I'm watching sport now. I watch the golf. I'm a big golf lover. And, you know, you watch Dustin Johnson win at the weekend. And, mm. you know... I've been watching tapes of Tiger Woods and you see the crowds and he's fist pumping and he's going, you know, Dustin Johnson won. And he was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's, there's, yeah. there's no atmosphere. There's, there's, you know, it is like being in, in an office, you know, when you've done something well, nobody pats you on the back, nobody claps or anything. <laughs> Sport is, 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 is changed. And even though you watch, you know, I've been watching premiership football, um, and they've got, the, they've got the noise going on, you know, the sounds. It's a bit out of kilter. It's not the oh, same. Yeah. But, you know, and I, I still see the players. You know, I love the celebration and a Yahoo and all that sort of stuff. And um, <laughs> you see the players go off to run off, you know, to celebrate with the fans. And then it's kind of, they slow up going, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> where am I going to celebrate? You know, I'm running away from the you know, the, my, my, uh, my fellow players. It, it's bizarre. I, yes, it, it will change um, dramatically. I was very fortunate in my business um, in a corporate hospitality um, is massive in business, but also for me and what I used to do. And there's players, ex-players, that it's their main job, you know, uh, quite frankly. And I used to do it just because of business contacts. And, you know, we hosted as a company and we had a box at Twickenham uh, it's just ended literally this month um, so I won't be renewing um, that's a, that's detrimental to the RFU it's detrimental to to rugby um, because how what do I like where, 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 what do you book where, what, what's happening you know, no one knows and they just cancelled I just had an alert from the RFU cancelled them the, uh, the the sevens you know that was going to be at Twickenham I was thinking a, it was probably last weekend. It's just, it's all, a, it's all a bit of a mess. It's all over the shop. And I, I really feel for the hospitality sector. But um, I feel for the players as well because, you know, you do, you do uh, get so much out of a, an environment where there's supporters and there's noise and atmosphere. You, you, it's definitely not the same. It's not well, can the same. You I mean, obviously, you might be able to tell from my accent, um, and I was—I I almost had a bet with Dom that I was going to try and not mention Gloucester tonight. Oh, but that's God. not going to happen. Yeah, but you can't um, not mention Gloucester. Every <laughs> podcast imagine? is done. We need, to, we, need to, we need to. We need to. No, we need to have the. Hang on, hang on, hang on, Dom. Jk, Jk, Jk. Let me finish. Can you imagine Andy playing in front of an empty shed? Oh, there we go. You know, wouldn't that short up to me? The shed is like my holy ground. I love the shed. I absolutely love the banter in there. <laughs> and um, I just think that it would be absolutely surreal to, to see that. Oh, Andy, don't egg him on, please. Oh, please do. What is it? Tom, don't speak so I can see what he's trying to show me. 
Um, you might need to Boston speak, Andy. Old school ball, and it's got they faded slightly. It's from '04. Uh, the whole team signed it on in gold all the way down. That's um, amazing. So that was a great era and period for us, Boston. Um, but I, I agree. Look, you know, I um, it was my. There's so many great stadiums, but you know, from a um, playing in the Premiership, King's End was just the best. And I, I played against Gloucester, but then played, you know, w- with. And we used to get a buzz from doing the warm up and going yeah. around. So I'd go out individually, do my kicking, and there's people there and they clap and cheer. You get the odd heckle. Uh, mm. yeah. And, um, but, you know, then you go around as a team. This is before kickoff. And yeah. I, I felt 10 feet, you know, I, it was unreal. And, you know, that's the benefit of home uh, advantage, but it's also just, you know, I think, you know, even some of the most hostile environments as a sportsman, you have to get up for it and you have to respect and love, love it. Cause if you don't, it's going to kill you. I mean, you, you're gone, you're dead. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just, it just seems not fair. It's just, yeah. Yeah. it's a weird one. So I've been watching the, the Southern Hemisphere, obviously their back play. Um, yeah. The Super 14. Fantastic! They got the fans and, and hit. And to be fair, listening to that and watching that kind of, it, it gets me jealous a little bit of not being able to watch it myself. But then I looked at the NRL. Obviously, I watched both codes, and the NRL have put placeholders of people. <laughs> They've done that in football as well in some some brands. People all around, the, and I'm like, it's just not the same. You could literally. I think the players are going to know, and it's not going to help their mental state. So anything, it's going to make them miss the real people more. Yeah. 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 Or, or you, you know, the, the old stadiums where people used to stand, right? I mean, Twickenham was like that. There were standing areas and, you know, kind of social distancing in, in a stand rather than being sat down. <laughs> there could be, could be the reinvention of the old school, you know, oval, no mm-hmm. seats, um, you know. And, and you've, you hear of 100,000 people back in the day, you know, uh, in, a, in a sort of tiered stadium, but no seats. Um, that, that could come back, you never know. So switching on to, I mean, we haven't really touched a lot on rugby, but we'll switch on to your career. Obviously, you had an absolutely glistening career, played for like the biggest club in the world in Gloucester and some others. Um, (laughs) You you, you also obviously, you know, famously in the 2003 squad, um, won the World Cup with England. Um, Wanted to just bring it back briefly to... I know you mentioned obviously playing at Gloucester and playing against Gloucester. I, I imagine are very two different experiences at home. Are there any other stadiums um, in the Premiership that sort of came close to that, or you thought, "Oh, Jesus God, we got to go and play there again"? Is there anywhere else that sort of hit home like that? Well, I think uh, everyone would uh, when Newcastle were in the Premiership. You know, it was uh, the only Northern club, and it was you know a big schlep. Um, that no, and it was always hosing it down, windy. Um, yeah. It's literally the old-fashioned game of two halves. And we always used to play at Christmas. Um, I remember New Year's Eve. Uh, we had a New Year's Day one year there, and the hotel was pumping. You know, <laughs> New Year's Eve got no sleep whatsoever, uh, and trying to. So no one wanted to do the Newcastle kind of away. You know, no one wanted to do it, and it's probably still the same. Although it's slightly easier because they've got a plastic pitch now. But um, uh, and uh, even uh, even then, back in the day, you know, we'd stay up, so it was a good night out, right? But you know, still. Oh. Um, 
<laughs> but I, I've got to say, uh, Leicester Tigers, Welford Road, um, I, I really enjoyed playing there. Great, great atmosphere, great state, all is well. You know, really early on, there could be a couple of thousand people watching you if you were lucky. At Welford Road, it was always 16,000, you know, so it felt like a mini international. And then you yeah. were playing Leicester that was, you know, full of internationals. Um, it was incredibly uh, difficult place to go and play. But when mm. you went there and you did well, what I loved about the Leicester fans was they were really respectful. They they almost applauded um, you for for you know playing well and and potentially looking to you know beating Leicester. They were always uh, I didn't I didn't win very often there, but I I, I just I, I I that was one game I thought you know yes you've got to be on top of your game, but I want to be on top of my game to play in front of yeah. these people. Um, so really respected um, for Leicester. Uh, obviously, played played for a number of um, different clubs. Um, obviously, I could read down the list, but obviously started with the better teams uh, with Wasps. Obviously, um, <laughs> how did that? How did that all? Um, how did it all start for you? Obviously, down at schooling <clears throat> in Bedford. Um, yeah. Was it? Was that where it all started to go towards Wasps? Or yeah, I mean, it's it, it just. Um... Life, you know, especially in business, is about the network and about the people that you know. And um, it was the same for me um, growing up. Sport, it's the influence of my my old man. And, um, you know, getting to, to, to go to Bedford School, which was a you know traditional rugby um, school, um, was massive for me. And, uh, you know, it was I was lucky I was in a team. Um, so there was, I think, three England players at under 16 level in my team and I didn't get in. I wasn't good enough. Um, and we had we went unbeaten pretty much all the way through my school years, five years unbeaten. Um, the centres were taller than the second rows. You know, we just had a freak year group of, I would, you know, I was you know, always the smallest by a mile. But, um, you know, we just had a freak year. Um, and... So they, they kind of inspired me as well to, to be better than I was and to keep growing. And um, I was young for my year group as, as well. So, you know, July birthday. So I was the, you know, quite young and physically, um, you know, uh, small as well. Um, so it was just amazing experience to play in a team that never really lost. Um, and, and so... You know, the, the likes of playing uh, Harrow School, Roger Utley was the coach, old Wasp player. And he kind of saw me and, you know, put the word out. And then my local club, which my dad, you know, I, it, it, come, it sort of threw the veins for me, rugby, that my, my dad started uh, Bista Rugby Club. We, we, we turned up there. Um, one of my dad's companies um, started there. And there was just, there was no mini rugby on a Sunday. So we all turned up and there was no one there. So um, three dads started it up um, and we recruited literally in the streets, you know, just picking up kids going, come on, let's go and play rugby. And, you know, now there's 350, 400 kids that turn up. So um, Vista had a coach that was coaching at Wasps as well. And it just all kind of started <laughs> for me then. And then I've got to tell you this story. So I, 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 I kept getting denied at uh, not a county, but at uh, divisional level, and then England trials. And my last year, I, 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 they, they made me captain, so it was incredible to to get that. Uh, they just just saw me as you know tenacious and never just wouldn't give up. You know who's this guy that just will not give up? And um, 
so I, I then, it was easy then to sort of go and have a, you know, trials of wasps and whatever. And then as I was leaving school, I got invited, uh, or oh, before that I played Clonethley under 21s. This is before that. And, uh, so I was used to winning. <laughs> there was a guy number eight for Clonethley on the under So I was 18. So, I mean, it, it was just another physical step up. And there was a guy called Scott Quinnell at number eight. Uh, <laughs> a little uh, there's a, there's a, my most embarrassing moment, which I'll go into uh, later, involves Scott. Um, but he scored. He, he was just, he was having a trial game to play for the first team. So he's a couple of years older than me. And um, he scored four tries before half-time against the <laughs> and, and they won, Clinethony 21s at Wasp, won 76-12 or something ridiculous, right? Mm. So I was like, wow. <laughs> anyway, um, went on tour with Wasp 21s to Canada, that big rugby nation. And the um, <laughs> game hadn't gone professional. This is 1993. So um, I'm on a WhatsApp group with all those guys, which is amazing through this COVID period. Mm. Um, and... I got arrested the first night because I was 18. The drinking law is 19. And so I got arrested the first night. Um, we went to a nightclub and I walked out of the nightclub straight in the police car and off I go. And one of the lads was like, oh, shit. So he went in to tell the lads and we went around the, the block and I'm going, you know, no mobile phone. Right. So I'm going, this is, this is it. I've let, let my family down, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> It's pretty steaming. And um, anyway, this police car kept going around. I was about to sort of say something and they came past the club again and the whole mm. of the WASP team were there. They were all lined up, clapping me in, singing happy birthday. They stitched me up. So they, they, <laughs> they even though I was underage, they, they just had a word with the police and say, just arrest this kid, you know, and uh, I absolutely cacked myself. And at that moment I knew, Christ, this is the club for me. What, you know, good lads. And the, and the club even then, and the, we're, we're talking about it now, the, the club was always about the people. It wasn't about the place, the stadium, the fans. It, it, it really was about the people uh, in the club. It was a, it's a unique uh, club. And so I had six amazing years at Wasps and um, you know, it turned amateur to professional. Rob Andrew was there. Um, you know, some was, legends. Uh, was Peter Bracken there? Say was Peter Bracken, sorry, was Peter Bracken there at the time you were there? No, he wasn't, no. So I came across Pete at, at Quinn's when I was there. But my point being, I was six years and Wasp was going to be my only club. I mean, re genuinely, I wanted to be a one-club player. Um, absolutely loved it. All the players who are now still my mates, um, you know, they, we grew up together. We had, they recruited, what they did really well is they recruited. So literally, they went to the England Trials Divisionals and there was four teams and they just watched and they went, We'll have him, we'll have him, we'll have him, we'll have him. And they just picked a team from there, which you think in hindsight, it's an obvious thing to do, but there was no kind of recruitment. There was no kind of, and um, we just had an unbelievable team. So in 96, seven, we won the league, um, won the cup, and it was all just starting professional. And I, I just, I, that was it. I was going to stay forever. And, um, Professional rugby, you know, we're so blessed to be able to do it. But the truth of the matter was it wasn't professional. And mm -hmm. we had as good time off it. But on the field, I, I knew I needed to get to another level. I played for England. I'd got 
dropped pretty much in my first season because I wasn't right mentally. I wasn't right physically. And I wanted to go to another level. Like, um, you know, you see the athletes train and I, and I had experience of that. And we were nowhere near it. I mean, we got in 1996, we played Middlesex Sevens. We played Wigan in the final. <laughs> Right? And we were winning at half time because it was our game, right? It was our, it was our code. We never <laughs> yeah. played sevens, right? But you think of the 10 that played for Wigan. I mean, they were, they're all heroes. They're all legends of rugby league. And some of them played Union, Andy Farrell, Inga Twigamala. I mean, the list goes on. Gary Connolly, Henry Paul, you know, Sean right. Edwards, Martin O'F- I mean, it's in Scott was <laughs> playing, Quinnell. Insane team. And we were just, you know, sort of, students, uh, Lawrence was playing, Pete Scrivener, myself, Nick Greenstock. We had a good team, right? But the problem was it was amateur and it was yeah. 10 minutes um, in the final. And we were like, Christ, we, could, we were struggling with seven minutes. And it was 10 minutes. <laughs> we were winning it, we're winning it at halftime and then we get absolutely trounced. Um, <laughs> couldn't get near them. We lost by 50 points, you know. But that was a massive realisation to me. I was like, got a long way to go. And I wanted to, so I wanted to invest in my own sort of fitness and the club didn't, the club didn't back me, you know, and I was gutted. And so um, it basically came to the fact that it's either you, Andy, um, or I've got to get rid of the fitness coach kind of thing. It got to that point. And Nigel Melville chose to keep the fitness coach and get rid of me. So I was, I was absolutely mortified and gutted. And I, it wasn't an arrogance by me to go, you know, uh, you know, you don't get rid of a player. It was a big realisation in my life, but that started the merry-go-round of going to different clubs. I would never have done it, but, mm. you know, it's not a regret. It's nothing. It's just a fact of life. And I'm sort of blessed and lucky that I got to play for so many other great clubs, but the truth of the matter was I would have definitely stayed at Wasps all my life. Right. So obviously, right. after Wasps, you went on to Captain Bedford? Yeah. Obviously, in the relegation year, was it walking as captain or what was the conversation? Oh, it's great. I mean, listen, I, I got, so in the Clive Woodward era, so I, I, was, I played for England, Jack Rowell. Yeah. And Jack w- went, Will Carling kind of went, um, you know, Jeremy Guscott went, you know, it was this era of just all these legends I grew up watching and then playing with, gone. Yeah. And um, suddenly, um, you know, I lose my place, uh, um, you know, my, my contract to Wasps. And I go to Bedford and... So it was, a, it was it, I just wanted to play and enjoy it. And I was playing for a club that obviously, you know, my, my boarding house was literally around the corner. So I used to look at the, the, the stadium. So it, was, it, it sort of brought my passion back for it. And, I, you know, proper old school rugby club. And it was great. And I was playing for a, a coach as well. that I hugely respected um, a guy called Paul Turner. And this guy just in terms of the game, there's not many people I could say that think or love the game more than this guy. And it's infectious. I mean, literally sleep, breathe, walk, talk, rugby. And not only that, when he was a player, if you ever watch Paul Turner, go and Google what he used to do. Kicked off both foot, place kicked off both foot, would do chips off his knee over the defensive line. (laughs) Um, grubbers, you know, you saw Finn Russell do that grubber through the nutmeg legs and yeah, yeah. did that for fun all the time. <laughs> so it was inspiring. So I literally, I went there just going, 
I'm going to learn all I can off this guy. Mm. And, you know, at the end of the day, we were the least funded, you know, coming up premiership. It, it was tricky, right? And, we, and, and actually, um, through it, we didn't get paid a couple of months, you know, all that sort of stuff. So it's proper old school. And unfortunately, you know, we got relegated. Uh, I was injured in the playoff games. I bust my knee. Um, but that season, I, I, you know, I showed responsibility, captaincy, and I goal kicked as well. And I, I don't think I was flavour with, with Clive Woodward at the time. And he just saw that and he went, bang. There was an injury. I think Kieran was injured. Dorse was playing. It was um, 2000. And I sat on the bench playing for Bedford, you know, in the Six Nations. So I was really, really lucky. Um, and he got me in. I would have gone on the tour to South Africa, but I bust my knee at the end of the season. But I played against Gloucester uh, and uh, at Bedford. I remember it to this day. John Fiddler and Philippe Santandre came up to me and said, we really want to sign you for next, next season. And, um, you know, I didn't know Bedford were going to get relegated. I only had a year's contract. And that was, I was like, bring it on. I went down mm. to see John Fiddler, met him at the Air Balloon. Um, a lovely pub that is, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Remember it, remember it. And you know, Philippe was a hero as well of mine. You know, watching him play, and it, you know, another inspiring character. Um, yeah, and that was, you know, that was an easy decision. You know, once I turned up, and I, I've got to tell you this story. So I turned up, and they were all like, "Who's this London?" You know, swear word. Who's this London idiot? And. Uh, They'd heard about me, blah, blah, blah. So I turned up and I thought, what do I, what do I wear? You know, it's professional sport. So wear a suit, obviously. Yeah. Um, no, one in, no one in Gloucester at the time had a suit, I don't think, in terms of the players. There were not so, even any shops, were there? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they have suits They didn't have a suit. And so I wore a suit and, and they said, right, we need a photo on the pitch. So get changed. So I literally got changed, left my suit in the thing. And when I, when I got back... <laughs> Uh, the suit had gone and my pants were sellotaped uh, to the ceiling. They were like, <laughs> and by the way, the ceiling in the King's Day changer at the time was so like, it was 20 feet high. There was no <laughs> way of me getting them down. And uh, that was Mark, Mark Cornwall, who's a good mate from back in the day, second row. Yeah. And uh, they just wanted to teach me a lesson. You know, this is the club you're coming to. There's no stars <laughs> in this team. You're going to get treated, and you know you you better you better you better turn up with the with the right uh, attitude. Uh, you know, and I loved it. It was brilliant, brilliant. Um, and they hid my car as well, by the way, in Tesco's. <laughs> so I say, look, I am going to call the police. You just where is my car? That was that was uh, Tommy. So yeah, good days. Awesome, awesome. Um, in terms of. Obviously, you played against a lot of clubs, which we've, which we've touched on. You played for a few clubs against, against many, if not all of the teams in the Premiership at one point. Um, who would you say was your rugby nemesis in terms of a player? Who did you not like seeing on the pitch opposite you? It may have been that you respected them massively, but you just, you know, always butted heads. I mean, was there anyone that you, uh, you relished playing against or, or uh, look, didn't look forward to in, in either way? Um... I think um, it's easy to pick out a few people because, you know, to compliment them, they were uh, so competitive and, um, you know, is a nine, you know, we're all trying to chip away and chirp away. Uh, I I used to really love playing Pete Richards, for instance, who's very physical, great player, loved Mm. playing against him, Uh, challenged, challenged me physically. um, And we just, 
you had to keep an eye on him all the time. Brilliant, brilliant player. Um, obviously, Brax, Kieran, um, mm. superb player. Um, you know, and we, we, with Matt as well, Matt Dawson, we, we fought, you know, for our whole careers. I was, the, I was the younger one coming through. So I was two or three years younger than those old boys. Um, but, you know, they, that was always coming up against them. I had to apologise to Dorse as well for clipping him uh, with my boot in the head uh, one game because he frustrated the life out of me. He was, you know, uh, playing so well. Um, and, you know, th- those players. But I, I think there's... there's um, you know, number eights as well that were always difficult because they just take a beeline for you. Dean Ryan, when I played against him at Newcastle, I never forget, stood behind the ruck, marshalling the troops, and he just came through the middle, swinging arm, just cut my <laughs> cut my eyelid open, just swinging, swinging arm. Um, yeah, they, 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 you know, there's a difference between playing against a scrum half, you know, you know, you you challenge mentally about versus playing against, a, you know, a big brute that's going to, you know, come after you and try and kill you. Uh, there's plenty of those guys. But, um, you know, I, I learned a lot off um, players that, you know, maybe weren't as skillful as, as I, I was, but had bigger hearts and bigger engines and, you know, just were at it all day. So you, you kind of try and take the best out of certain competitors and people and try and, raise your game in different circumstances, different games. And, you know, these were also people telling me this kind of, these facts that, you know, yeah. if you want to be the best, you want to be a great player. Why did you let, I remember Dean Ryan giving me the advice. He said, you know, every day of the week, I would pick Gary Armstrong over you. And I said, why? And he said, because he's not as skillful as you. Um, he doesn't kick or pass as well as you, but my goodness me, he is committed. He tackles uh, like a back row forward, and he's you know he's you know he's into the forwards the whole time. Tenacious. He climbs into Pete. I was like, done. Thank you. Best advice ever. You know. Mm. So, um, you know, and there's other greats of the game. You know that you just couldn't lay a hand on. Carlos Spencer. You know, was you oh. know, couldn't lay a hand on him. Unbelievable. New Zealand Barbarians. You know, we played against them. We did really well. I made a couple of mistakes in 97 against them, missed the kick in touch, you know, Jonah Lomu, you know, <laughs> suddenly, you know, Carlos Spencer sidestep. You just couldn't play, you know, just Christian Cullen, you know, these guys were like, they just glide, absolutely glide. So I, I used to love playing Southern Hemisphere teams, you know, the way that they played. Um, our game was a bit more forward orientated compared to their backs. Um, and then, you know, latterly, George Gregan, you know, this guy was insane uh, yeah. as a player, a leader. And, 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 and what, I, what I took from him was, we, I, I, you know, we beat him in uh, 03 and I was fortunate to be on the pitch when we beat him in 07 in the quarterfinal yeah. in Marseille. This guy never looked beaten. He never was beaten. Whether yeah. it was the final whistle, he just didn't be. I actually apologised to him after 2007. <laughs> you know, I said, <laughs> sorry, mate, you know, we beat you sort of thing. I apologised to him. I had so much respect for what he did and uh, who he was and how he carried himself. So, yeah, there's tons of guys. Use van der West. I mean, the, the list goes on, right? I mean, there's yeah. so fortunate to play against these greats. Do you find that, um, just just out of curiosity, you mentioned, obviously, these great players you're playing against. Now, going back to your playing days, would you tailor how you played uh, 
with which opponent you're playing, for example. Like, you know, if you knew you were playing against, uh, you know, one of the best nines in the world, would you change your game specifically for that match only? Or would you kind of... Yeah, I mean, your video analysis was huge, but um, I was particular. Um, we, you know, with England, we used to talk about sacking the nine. So the more times we got him on the ground, and 10, but the more times we did, the harder it was them for them to play make. So yeah. we should have been in the ascendancy in that regard in terms of defensive uh, duties. But, you know, some forwards used to see them. They can't get away with it now, but... You know, I always remember a couple of the forwards used to just get the nine and just lie on them. And it's so frustrating because yeah. you want to kick out, you want to punch or whatever, but then the touch judge comes in because you've reacted to it. You're thinking, yeah. this 120 kilo unit is lying on me and I've got a job <laughs> to do and he's not allowing... It's called cheating and you're not seeing it. And yeah. It was brutal. So, yes, I looked at the game and I would look how people played and I would choose how I defended... Um, and you know, latterly, as you you build relationships, Nigel Melville was a great help. Dave Ellis is a guy that was the French defensive coach for Gloucester uh, uh, as well. Uh, we used to tactically look at it. You look at uh, Gareth Davis in the World Cup. I mean, this guy, right? Defensively, he would look at it, and he would he was allowed. I, I'm not sure I was allowed to do this, but yeah, he got interceptions because he would just go at the ten. And then you yeah. know that the defensive behind him was solid and he'd just go for intercepts. I mean, incredible. And it worked. Yeah. He actually he picked a pass off um, the Australian number nine, I think. He literally took a pass, stepped part. Gareth Davis is gone. I mean, so yes, you, you look at that. I, I looked at El Assad in the World Cup semi-final against France. Um, every time I, you know, he touched the ball, I wanted to get hold of him and, and, and snag him. Same with George in... in um, in 2007 in Marseille, trying to get to them. I'll never forget tapping. So just, I played against just, uh, I think it was Northern Transvaal played against a divisional team early on. And I knew how good this guy was. I mean, incredible, um, mm. you know, physical presence around the breakdown. And, um, but I knew at the scrum that he didn't have a left-hand pass back in the day. And he used to pick and pass. Good pass, but, you know, I knew I could tap him. Anyway, I tapped him at this one. So it was at Bristol. I remember at, uh, uh, at the Memorial Stadium. I tapped him and, it, and the ball bubbled to the fly half and we got the ball back, whatever. And I remember thinking, and he's got these, uh, used, to have, used to have these snake eyes and they were like evil. If he stared at you, you're like, oh my God, I'm in trouble, right? <laughs> and he stared at me and I thought, and I apologised again to him. I'm like, I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> it's just, what an idiot, you know, posh public schoolboy. Like, I'm so sorry about that. Um, <laughs> you know, he, just, so yes, in answer to your question, absolutely 100%. You play, so Dorse, whenever I used to play Dorse, I used to know, just mark, mark, mark him out. I didn't want him to, because we were competing at England level, I didn't want him to have a good game. Um, yeah. So I would, I would literally, as soon as he did a step right foot, bang, I'm there to hit him. Whether yeah. I did or not is not the is not the point. But I, that was the tough yeah. challenge, you know, because he was that good. He would duck under, yeah. slip through, and but uh, that was that. That was what I wanted to do. So before moving on, so before we move on to uh, obviously England World Cup, that that is obviously going to be a nice conversation we have. Obviously, stick with the Gloucester theme. Yeah. A little bit of controversy has hit out recently in the recent news with um, 
with their new coach in Skivington. Yeah, no Irish person is there. They did everything above board, I promise you. No, everything. <laughs> Everything's fine. What's, what, what's obviously, obviously you've thought that Skivington coming in is going to make a, a good impact and obviously likewise this whole London Irish controversy behind it. Um, what's your take on... Uh, well, firstly, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Firstly, uh, I'm not close to it. Uh, we've congr- congratulated George to the the uh, WhatsApp group that we're on. Um, I think it's a fantastic uh, appointment signing. I think it'd be. I think he really will do well. I think it'd be great. Um, he's young. I think it's going to be hard. I really do. Yeah. I mean, I you know when you're young and it doesn't matter whether you've exited the, um, uh, the, the the game and there's still players that probably will are playing now that you played with kind of thing. It's always difficult. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he won't suffer for that, but yeah, difficult job. There's no hiding place at Gloucester um, in terms of you know coaching, how the team plays. You've got um, if they could squeeze sixteen thousand into King's Home, you've got sixteen thousand uh, people that want to you know criticise uh, um, <laughs> yeah. positive or negative. Doesn't matter. They want their team to win, um, and that's fair enough. So I think it's going to be difficult for him, but I think it's a great appointment. Um, young, um, upcoming English coach, all for it. The whole thing with London Irish and Gloucester, I still can't believe in this day and age, we, you know, communication, how we do it, the rules. Really? We're talking about this? Really? <laughs> you know, the, the, the <laughs> that, you know, it just, yeah. it's, I'm like, it's either because the press want a story, mm. um, but, the whole statement from Gloucester, London Irish, you know, London Irish are not going to be happy, are they? They're going to come out and say, yeah. but yeah. within the laws, really, we're, we're discussing that. There should be, it should be very, very uh, succinct, the laws in terms of you can't approach it, whatever. But to, to have this is a nonsense because it's going to be hard for George. It's going to be, you know, what are the comments? If nothing's going to happen, it won't be a problem. But yeah, just complete nonsense. I'm, I'm, I'm appalled by sort of unprofessional, you know, kind of light that, that's come about. Do you think that's um, quite sort of, obviously, a bit of a different situation with the pandemic, but obviously today, Northampton re-signing or sorting out contracts with 19 players, some players missing out, obviously, due to the situation with the pandemic. Do you think that's all seems a bit rushed through? You know, there's talk of five stars from Leicester that who are sort of saying, no, we're not going to have a pay cut. And supposedly by the end of today that will be stood down. Do you think that's that's just being rushed or? No, I think it's the reality. I think uh, if you look at it uh, from a positive point of view for the clubs, they're going to have to look at how they're going to finance and look at, you know, you might have lost sponsors. They, there's a lot of connotations around it. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, you know, certainly a club like Leicester, you know, thrive off and are profitable because people come through the gates and they pay, they spend money. If that's not going to be the case, you know, it's, a, it's, it's catastrophic in terms of you know, the business and the money's coming in. Um, so how is it supposed to survive without the union, the premier rugby or blah, 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 you know, funding the players, you know, it's an obvious thing. And for a club perspective, it's a good opportunity to kind of wipe the slate clean as well. You're seeing decisions yeah. made quickly. 
um, really looking at his strategy. I was shocked by Gloucester because obviously they had a clear out, you know, recruitment, mm. recruitment, David Humphrey's recruitment. And I'm going, oh my God, you know, that's massive changes. Um, one of the challenges for George is, you know, you, know you, you come into a club, you haven't signed these players, and you, but you like these really difficult. But COVID, what it will do is it will just, just get rid of all of that and actually look at it. Uh, and it's a reality for some of the players. And I feel massively sorry for some of them. I've seen posts from some of the players as well, sort of saying, you know, look, I don't know whether this is the end, but it's probably likely to be. Seeing lots of players go to Japan. Um, yeah. yeah, it's tough, but it's the reality of sport. And yeah, we always, we used to joke we're a piece of meat. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's still the same. Um, there's no, there's no, there's no uh, difference really. Do you see yeah. that this is going to be scope for a bigger intervention? Obviously, mental health is going to play a huge part in everything that's going on, and a little bit more intervention from the RPA and the growth of the RPA, who have been instrumental on keeping tabs with these players, knowing the situation. Obviously, the mental health that comes with going from full-time rugby to absolutely nothing furloughed. I think if you look at other code of sport, obviously with rugby league, there's, you've got players who've had to go out and find another job, essentially, just to put food on the table. Obviously, these are players at the top of their game. Do you see this is going to now be a kick up the arse for the RPA to now grow and become a bigger foot, um, another bigger stamp uh, in, the, in the Premiership game and the Championship, if they can? Yeah, I mean, but it's not just the RPA. I mean, the RPA, um, you know, if, is dependent on funds. Uh, what, what I respect about the RPA is they've set up so many things to support the players, um, but it's twofold as well, right? So the players have got to come forward, they've got to uh, support, but also they've got to reach out. And um, I certainly reached out when I was, uh, as a player, when I had incident, uh, incidents in my career, and they were there straight away for, for me. But you have to do that. Um, yeah. I think the, the RPA get a bad rap sometimes and it's unfair you know all, all they're trying to do is they're there for the players um, and yes we can always do more right and um, I, I was really proud to be part of a, a WASP Legends group that we um, through uh, the WhatsApp group we've sent videos to one another different weekends saluting various people in the world um, celebrating birthdays all this stuff we raised 25 grand doing it right oh, and, and and all became alcoholics um, <laughs> and it was great fun it was something like six thousand messages videos i mean it was incredible how it brought us all together but we donated some to the funds to the rpa for you know the helplines that were struggling to keep going because you know the, the guys need it so so i think you know the rpa needs help the, um, the RPA will, are always there to help the players. Um, I don't think they need to kick up the arse. I think they want they want to do more, right? Um, but but it but it it needs some really really um, potential shifts in um, resource and and support financially. Um, so so but that, but that that can only happen with unfortunately with uh, with money. But the, I think the intent is there. Um, but the players, you know, this this is a this is a massive kick and reality, um, and some sometimes it is cruel because it's kind of taken out of their hands a little bit as well, which is which is really really brutal. Um, but it's a global game, 
you can go and have different experiences. I, I still, I don't have a regret, but I wished I played abroad, you know, I, yes, I toured, but I wish I played for a French club or an Italian club or, mm-hmm. you know, had the chance to go to Japan and never, and never did. So there's good opportunities for some of the players there. Um, you know, We've just seen Chris Robshaw going off to the, to the US. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was that never an option. Yeah, that Obviously was never America's an become a big thing for it. Yeah, so I mean, it, you know, what a great experience that will will be for him. And mm. um, you just, you never know. You absolutely never know. Yeah, the US has always been dangerous if they get the funding right. Um, just yeah. some of the so-called rejects from you know american mm. football <laughs> yeah they'd be scary <laughs> yeah. sevens. Oh my yeah. God. incredible <laughs> talent so they could be really really dangerous and uh yeah great experience right so go and go around the world and and try it um so we'll we'll see but i i know that um it's going to be a bit of suck it and see um it's da- it's very dangerous but it'll be a shame once it's get gets going that there'll be no supporters there because they're 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 a massive part of this um, mm. yeah. i think the travel around the world kind of leads quite nicely on to uh i'm, I'm gonna hazard a guess a massive highlight in your career um, <laughs> i'm playing for uh country and uh winning the illustrious world cup in 2003 Obviously, talk us through. We'll, we'll go 2003 first, and obviously 2007. Hang on, the, the illustrious World Cup. I thought it was the Wales World Cup. Oh, That's no. the. Way, oh. <laughs> I can all but apologise for. It. But um, so 2003. <laughs> I'm actually going to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> so the 2003 World Cup. You guys are getting there. How, how, how was the feeling? Obviously, getting into that final. Obviously, we'll go from quarterfinals onwards. Was it a case of we can do this, we can do this, we can do this, or was it we've got to play this game, we've got to play this game, and then we've got to play this game? Which no, was it always in your mind, or did you really have to concentrate on the task at hand? No, when we toured before the World Cup, we toured New Zealand and Australia, and we won uh, across there, and we did really well. The, the belief was when we turned out, the belief was there anyway. I mean, we had an unbelievably strong squad. But also we had a, an experienced squad, you know, um, an experienced squad in age, um, maturity, mentality, and a squad that um, hadn't won anything, you know. So, yeah, you'd won domestic trophies. And there was, uh, at that time in that England era, it was very much Leicester Wasps and then kind of other people. Um, so those two clubs were going hammer and tong at one another uh, and also, you know, massively successful and big, big, uh, personalities, um, but um, the the belief was always there. Actually, when we landed, it doesn't mean to say you're nervous and you don't doubt and all those kind of things. And you know, the bounce of a ball can change everything. Mm. But the belief was always there. We kind of knew that if we got through our group, um, you never sure who you're going to play in a quarterfinal. Um, but the route was easier. There was always a route to. It seems weird now, but there was always back in that era, there was the route to avoid New Zealand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> yes, New Zealand. You know, in '07, you saw what happened to them in the quarterfinal, but it it felt more achievable and believable to to have an easier route. Yes, you might meet them in the final, but you know that therefore the belief was 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 strong and good. But 
even then, didn't matter we were going to play New Zealand because we'd gone over to Wellington um, and beaten them. You know, um, so it was it, the belief was strong, and it was. But 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 you know, confidence is another thing. So you can believe all this stuff, and then it's kind of the confidence running. Um, and of course, the World Cup didn't go according to plan. Even you know, even though, but I think the confidence grew and the belief grew when we beat South Africa. So we played Georgia first, but when we beat South Africa and we convincingly so beat South Africa, I think then we kind of knew get to the final and then it's all on and we should, we should, um, no matter what the conditions, we should uh, get a stranglehold on this and win the, win the world cup. It doesn't mean to say you're going to do it. And obviously way yeah. more the final losing at half time. Mm. in the works. Mm-hmm. Did, um, I mean, going back to last year's world cup, what do you think the issue was? Do you think England's final was against New Zealand and then they kind of felt like they'd won it already? No, I think it was um, South Africa. Ha- having, lost the World Cup, having lost the World Cup final against South Africa, you need to be very clear on how you're going to win that game and the tactics. Yeah. And from the off against South Africa, the tactics were totally wrong and decisions were being made on the pitch in a really, you know, listen, pressure is a different game. Yeah, you know, I've been... Yeah in those finals and pressure you, you never know you you think you're going to deal with it you never know and mistakes happen we let South Africa get confidence um and chipped away at sort of lead and when they do that physical big strong mm. their defense is so, so superior we just got it wrong end of yeah. story it wasn't because you know with, was there a belief that England because they dominated and played so well against New Zealand and actually New Zealand in the pool game kind of did that to South Africa. Oh, this is going to be pretty straightforward and easy. Mm. Um, I don't think they did. I don't think they, they would have done. I just think South Africa got it right and we got it wrong. It's simple as in the final. And then they, by the end, they made it look easy, which was the worst yeah. thing, you know? So, um, but in the, in sort of the, sort of positive connotations from a you know, shocking loss in the final was I've never seen an England team take apart a New Zealand team like that ever. I mean, that yeah, was no. absolutely astonishing. Oh. So that'll, that'll I wish be that was... Grandkids. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, yeah no, but no, I wish no, that was no, the no, final. Yeah. No, yeah. So where were you? Did you watch the, like the JFK? Where were you when JFK did? You know, I know. It's, it's unbelievable. Know, but... but do you, the, the painful thing and the reality of life is that nobody really watches the replays of a semi-final. They just don't, you know. I will. <laughs> <laughs> well, funnily enough, I actually watched the 2003 World Cup final back the other day um, in preparation for you coming on. Enough, I thought I'd get a bit of ammunition. Um, but it's, it's, to me, 2003 still only seems a couple of years ago. But I, I watched that back and the... the, the the, even the, the quality of the footage was so dated it was just like yeah. oh my god it's astonishing like, it's now so 2020 awful. I think 2003 was yesterday yeah but it's 2003 so- I mean being in tech the iPhone still didn't come out for another four years yep. yeah yeah that's true it's, it's, so it's mad going to the it's 2003 mad. World Cup final you're drawing you're drawing it full time what's the conversation that's happening within that huddle what 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 What's being said at that time? Because it's quite unprecedented, and it mu- and obviously tiredness is setting in. There's a chance of there's still going to be um, drawing after the extra time. What, what conversations is happening? Obviously, I know Johnny's probably sat there 
giving his giving his speeches and everything, saying, "I'm going to win this." <laughs> no, he wasn't. He wasn't like that. I mean, it's so process driven. It's so process driven. It. Yeah, I mean, you know, you you cliche to the cars come home, but under the biggest pressure and you're nervous and you're you you're also long tournament. You're exhausted um, as well. You know, some of those players, how they delivered that level all the way through um, at the end of a long tournament. I think because we had a strong squad as well that. Some of the guys got rested through. They were an age that they needed that. that. That helped as well. But, you know, you know, Lawrence played every minute of every game, you know, and, and just to, to, to be able to put in that level of performance was, it was astonishing. And credit to the fitness team for England at the time. We, we prided ourselves on being the fittest um, as well. Um, we, we didn't want to lose a game on fitness. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it was just, it's all process stuff. It's all, you know, Bob yes, done. tactics, but it's all process stuff. And, you know, it, it, it's calming when it's like that, rather yeah. than worrying about result, worrying about an outcome. It's just process, do this and it will work. And, you know, well, you know the last play of the game when we got the drop goal was, was exactly that. We drilled that all day long. And I was, I used to stay behind with Wilco. So I, there's a, in the clip, you might not have seen it, but I, I literally whacked Woody on the back of the, um, on the <laughs> shoulder. So it was the last line out, and I whacked him on the shoulder. And all the cameras are on him, right? Because he's, yeah. you know, um, he's nervous, as, you know, because he, he's, yes, he's in control because he knows what the players are going to do. But, you know, it, him being an ex-England mm. player or would rather be out there doing it. So it's nerve-wracking yeah. in that regard. And I just slapped him on the shoulder. And he just looked at me like a scared rabbit. It was like, oh my God, like, you just hit me. And I, was, I just said to him, you know, I think this is the belief through the whole team and the squad was, we got this. You know, I, I said that literally before Tomo threw that line out to the back to Mudos. You know, I just, I said I knew it. And one of the reasons was, you know, you didn't know that was going to be a top of the dart throw. Dorse, mm. um, I think the next ruck does the dummy and gets, gets the line yeah, yeah. incredible as only Dorse would do and can do. It gets us close. But I used to literally, so, you know, you know, I was kind of number three in the, in the, in the, in the pecking order. So I would have to do all the training harder, longer. Cause you know, when you're playing, you need a bit more rest. So Wilco didn't do that. He trained as hard as, he was the hardest trainer, so I used to stay behind with Wilco. I just, I, I, my arms were absolutely dead, but you know, 100 passes to Wilco, and he just left foot, right foot, and he'd just get them through the post. So, my, yeah. my belief was obvious, you know, not that Jono would have seen that, you know, Jono believed in him, and all the players believed in him, but I, I was kind of felt like I was the one that had done some of the hard yards with him, and, and mm. loads of other people, don't get me wrong, but my personal experience was. It doesn't matter even, you know, who passed the ball. Because I think Johnny tried, Neil Back did, and everyone was like, no, don't do it. <laughs> Let Dorse do it. And yeah. once it happened, I, I kind of uh, knew he would get it over. But also, I didn't there's, – there's that I knew he'd get it over, but I didn't think he'd do it with his weak foot. He yeah. 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 Foot. Well, right. that was quite handy. Oh, he missed a couple of his left before, hadn't he? Yeah, well, maybe he that's the reason every, he did it. Yeah. Well, he missed, he missed – Almost every kick that game, you like the conversions and things, but when it comes down to a couple of penalties I watched about the other day, and what I wanted to touch on as well, the, the difference in, in characters of the managers. So, the moment the full time whistle went, Eddie Jones was down on the sideline, 
giving his players tips, giving his players support. Um, whereas Clive stayed up in the stands. Now, does that show the difference in managing styles? Is, is Not just really. I, mean, I, I think Clive wanted to, but I think, you know, it was a moment where John has said, we've got this, you know, we, we're in control, mm. thanks. You know, we don't need... Um, and, you know, they, those two had that relationship trust anyway, I think. And trust, mm. yeah, I mean, all of it. But, you yeah. know, fair play to Woody, you know, to get sort of denied by the skipper, you just got to go, I've done my job, right? I've done yeah. my job and these guys know what they're doing. Um, mm. And, and, and you know, fair play to that because, um, you know, as a, if I was a coach and whatever, I'd be like, oh, Christ, I really want to say what I need to say. And so, yeah. you know, fair play at the highest, you know, most biggest pressure. Um, but it's the same as in training. You literally, your coach does your first hour or first mm-hmm. 45 minutes and then you'll do your coach's run through. But the, what, the last thing he says is, captain's run through, your yeah. pitch, your team, do what you want. It's the same, the same in the game. He has, his, he has his moment in the changing rooms. He'll have his moment while you're warming up. Moment that. As soon as the whistle goes, it's the captain's. Yeah. And I think that's the different styles. Eddie, I think if he started, I think he's got to get used to the, the leaving it to them. And I think, and obviously he does his way and he's done, he's done wonders for the, uh, the modern England, England team. But I think that's where Clive kind of takes it to a whole different level at that point. It was literally, we'll do what we do in training. Essentially, yeah. essentially. I think it's in training, you're mine for 45 minutes, you're the captains for 15. In the game, you're mine for the first hour, you're the captains for the next 80. Yeah, I think it's the evolution and experience of you as a coach, but also the, the group of players that you have. You know, you, you might feel sometimes with this group of players, I need to, and this group of players, I don't. I mean, I, I always felt as a player, yes, I'd listen to the coach and I'd again, um, you know, uh, look at their. Um, game plan whatever and I try and go and do it and whatever but I'm the guy on the pitch that's making decisions you know I I was never the player looking up at the stands going what do I do now it's like this is my this is this is my game this is this is where I feel I can influence the game this is the tactic this is and I'm going to change it whatever um I got dropped for one game because Clive sent a message on and um, I took it in but I didn't spread the message and he dropped me, I remember him dropping me for it, you know, because I didn't wow. spend that community. It was one of my jobs. But um, at club level, I certainly felt, yeah, I'm running the show here. And it got me into trouble, right? I had certain coaches that didn't like it. They, they, they you know, I got sacked, I, I got dropped because the coach was trying to influence and whatever. And I'm like, well, you're not the guy playing the game. I'm playing the game. Yeah. And, you know, you're trusting and paying me. To, to deliver that so I'm going to deliver it whether you know whether I'm right wrong I'm the guy doing it um, yeah you so stand by your thing completely yeah, completely. yeah. So, so winning that game the emotions must be there I know you can probably see behind Dom he's got it quite nicely um, yeah. framed at the back there he did actually go looking for you at one point to see you yes you are there how I, got that, I got that as a little memento because I was actually that's the uh, World Cup final in 2003 was my uh, sixth birthday. Wow, that's scary. But now we're all feeling old. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, how big was the piss up afterwards? Huge. Uh, get, going. <laughs> I mean, get going. It was, it was utter relief in so many ways. But I, I was pretty philosophical at the time. Um, I was kind of like, wow, this genuinely will change our lives forever. That, that's what I felt immediately. Relief, great, celebration. 
but it was the end of a long like journey and tournament and everything you're miles away from everyone else you know you you know the australians are celebrating right it's not a great place to go and celebrate because they, mm. they've, they've just lost a world cup final yeah. um and it was so late as well like because of extra time by the time we got out out it was like two three in the morning um so everyone's shattered um but we still we still hit it hard and uh so did you do I got, it yeah i got i got put in taxi and taken home and you know smoking <laughs> cigars and never i don't smoke i was smoking cigars inhaling i mean you don't inhale cigar that was the lesson <laughs> i learned from that that evening and so i was really uh really ill on that but just you know the next day waking up you know straight back on it um I think Tins and uh, Bolsh came back in a police car. Uh, they were late nice. back to the meeting. Yeah, it was classic. But they were just getting a lift, but everyone thought they'd been arrested. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just just brilliant. Oh, just wonderful. And I got to, you know, a couple of my friends out there that, you know, I got them into the hotel. They got to lift the uh, Web Ellis trophy. You know, just, and I played, you know, I was on one of the guys. I was on an under-21 tour. He lived out there to, with Worcester, Canada. You know, mm. so I got to experience not just with the players and the group but also friends that I played junior rugby with and I got them to uh, it was just what a privilege what an you know amazing uh and then we just absolutely yeah royally got smashed um and enjoyed it loved it it, it got a bit heated on occasion with some of the Aussie players, but I was way too drunk and uh, loving. And uh, who is who? Who out of that England squad is the best on the uh, best on the lash? Well, Leonard easily, and and that was the thing. So we, Jason Leonard, you know, I mean, he's one of my heroes and a great friend. He, so you, you it felt like sometimes you were still at school in terms of you know your travel. You were you were booked in alphabetical order, so just like you would be at school. <laughs> So you, what, you, what you don't want after two days solidly on the beers, me having smoked a cigar, and all I could taste is cigar. And it was, <laughs> do not want a surname that starts with L, right? Because you've got <laughs> 24 hours on a flight with the biggest drinker in the England, <laughs> Jason Leonard. So my roomie for a lot of the time was Josh Lucy. <laughs> Josh, right. is sat, Josh is sat next to Josh, you know, can drink, but... You know. We've heard he's a, he's, he's a bit of a hyperactive bunny. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> Jace would have just knocked him out and put some sense into him and said, right, start drinking. So what we did on, on this flight, um, Josh was my roomie for you know, the camps and a long period of time. And what a wasp mate, you know, he, he just came to me and said, I've got, literally, I've got 24 hours with Leonard um, sat next to him and he's already started. The, fl the flight hasn't taken off. I can't drink another sip of alcohol. I'm dying. I just want to, you know, just curl up and go to sleep. And the trophy's being passed around and everyone's celebrating. It's, you know, and British Airways had called it Sweet Chariot to play. I mean, it was just off the scale, right? It was so good. Mm -hmm. And um, so I said to Josh, I said, look, best thing we can do is, you know, some of the games, the doc would come around before the games, you were nervous and he would give you a sleeping tablet. Um, but so sometimes you needed it, sometimes you did. I always took one just in case, um, took one off him just in case. But I had a stash, so we crushed up about three or four sleeping tablets, right? Josh and I <laughs> crushed them up, and then we got um, three um, gin and tonics, and we stirred in these three sleeping, three or four sleeping tablets. 
crushed him up into Leonard's. Leonard's. Uh, he still doesn't know this, this by the way. He drugged <laughs> Leonard. The world is so we, so we drugged him. Right? We drugged him. He drugged Leonard. Yeah, we we oh, drugged him. So we stirred it in, and then Josh Josh went to the seat, and I came along, and I said, Leonard, Jace, oh, what? It's been a brilliant trip. Just want to, you know, down a down a gin and tonic with you. You know, and he was like, no worries, lads, you know, ching, bosh, down it goes like that. <laughs> he, he stayed awake for 23 hours drinking, guys. Right? <laughs> <Yes. laughs> so, so, it, it didn't work. And I was going to say, you'd need, you'd need more like horse tranquilizers with that. <laughs> <moment. laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we didn't have any of those. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and literally, but when, uh, honestly, when uh, the last hour he hit the floor, I mean, we lost 10,000 feet, you know, when he went down, he went down. Really. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was a long, long flight home. But, you know, just again, turned up, there was 17,000 people at Terminal 3 when we turned up, right? And then, you know, bus tour, parade, 10 Downing Street, Buckingham Palace, insane, absolutely insane. I have to say, Jason Leonard is is what I would call... Well, you, you don't get him anymore, but one of the last breed of old school uh, player who can play professionally but still have the biggest beer belly in the world. And, yeah. uh, you know, all these le- lads are holding on to it. Now you don't even see that at all. I mean, props can run just as fast as backs in all sorts. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but, yeah, no, it's uh, it great to see him sort of, uh, you know, be part of the squad that listed the trophy as well, you know, considering how long he'd been playing, you know, for. And, yeah. Well, I, I used to, we used to go out for a cheeky midweek under the radar drink um, in, uh, in London when he was at Quinn's, we were at Wasps and uh, we'd come to England training and he'd, come, he'd, he'd sort of make a beeline for you. But, oh no, because he, you know, different eras. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to, you know, he'd come in, he'd put his arm around you and, he, and you'd go, right, Jason, you go, yeah. He goes, I know, I know where you drank on Wednesday night like that. He just know, he'd like, <laughs> he knew all the landlords of every pub. And they'd go, oh, Andy Gomesall, you know, so-and-so was in here. And he'd always know, right? He'd always know. And he goes, look, you better have a good game at the weekend or I'm going to tell the coach, you know. It's just... <laughs> Brilliant. So we Brilliant. Can, um, quite easily go through a lot more stories, but I think uh, it comes to the end. So, Mr. Scenario, Neil. Yeah, I've got a couple, a couple of questions today. Um, can I just apologise in advance for this, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I started off doing sort of like tame questions and then people, so I can't remember who it was, but someone told me they weren't weird enough. So I thought I'd better go back <laughs> to the drawing board. But uh, yeah. the first one, right now, the trick is I'm going to give you certain scenarios. You need to just try and answer them as quick as possible uh, so we can get a nice honest answer of you. But the first one we've been asking a lot of our guests is a lockdown-based question. So you're on lockdown with a player you used to play with, right? You're literally on lockdown for two weeks. You can't leave the house. Um, it's only like a two-bedroom sort of bungalow. You're having food and everything brought to you. Who, out of anyone that you've ever played with, would make it an absolute living hell? Austin who couldn't? Healy. Who couldn't you? Who was that? Sorry, Austin Healy. Oh, brilliant! <laughs> <laughs> oh. And why? Well, we we drive each other out the wall, but he would certainly <laughs> drive me out the wall. <laughs> brilliant! Brilliant! Excellent. Now, the other question is a little bit weirder. It starts getting slightly weirder as it goes on. Now, uh, you wake up in a dark room, um, the freaky little thing from Saw cycles in, asks you if you want to play a game. The lights go on and there's five bottles of Jägermeister on the tables, tw- uh, on the table, 20 pints of Guinness and uh, 20 pints of lager. Now, you've got to pick two people to get, help you get through it within an hour. I pretty much know who one of them is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Who would you pick to help you get through that lot? 
There's um, on our WhatsApp group. There's a gentleman called Nick Barber who played in the Wasp Twenty Ones. This guy can down a pie in two seconds flat. I mean, insane. And nice. yeah, so he he'd make it easily. I can send you the video. He's a very very talented man. Yeah, please <laughs> do. So Jason <laughs> Leonard and Nick Barber. There you go. Awesome. Oh, Let's have a look at that. Um, Right, and I've got an, I've got a last one. It's a would you rather? It's a work in progress. It's probably not the best question in the world, but right, you've got two options. So you can either start your career again, right, but you have to play prop Oof. for your entire career, right, <laughs> or you go back to the the peak of your fitness. You can play one more season, but it's for a team that you absolutely hate. Yeah, that's easy for what? me. I played yeah. so many. I just go. I can never play prop. <laughs> I could never, <laughs> ever do what they do. I mean, they're insane. I, yeah. I've been with a guy uh, uh, back in the day called Darren Garforth, who played Leicester Prop, who's an England legend. And um, Garth was, you know, he's top, top bloke, but he was covered in psoriasis. So I didn't, you know, A, know where to look. B, yeah. just like <laughs> what to touch. Because uh, I thought, you know... Yeah, you know, I was young at the time. I was like, "Oh my god, what what do these props do and get up to?" And um, when uh, when he went when we went to bed, I was obviously you know worried it being his roomie, and he snored so loudly. And I do remember him blowing off and snoring at the same time. I just thought these these these, these people are very special, talented individuals, and I would never mess with them and never ever ever think about playing their position they are <laughs> a law and species unto themselves and i love them, love them to death no that's so. brilliant that's a great answer and one more final question from me um if you could go back in time and give your 16 year old self a piece of advice whether it be rugby or life what would it be well that's a great question i think um i was i was certainly a player that wanted to do the right thing, but also wanted to, to, to be liked, if that makes sense. And I got really affected by what people said. And obviously then I would read the press as well. And it affected me massively. Yeah. It, it put me on a massive downer and doubted myself just by people's opinions and, and, and um, might be a player, might be um, press, it might be whoever in the, in the stadium uh, supporter. Mm. And I think if I was to give myself the advice again, it would be, it only matters what is in your head. Um, yeah. Yes, you know, all, have all the best uh, intentions, manners, you know, um, positive attitude, all that stuff. But do not, it should not matter and affect you what other people are saying and what other people are, are, are quoting. Obviously, the yeah. closest people to you and whatever, but reading all this stuff, it really is immaterial and doesn't matter. And I did get affected by it. And I would go back in a heartbeat and say, stop it. Don't read yeah. it. It's a nonsense. Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, this was, you know, I got dropped on teletext, right? Now I knew right. I was out of the squad on teletext. This, this was the days before social media, Twitter. We, we might have to explain what teletext is to Don. Yeah, what Don is this? <laughs> There's a red button on your TV and it used to come up with a big screen with the news, the weather, and uh, Correct. would get your holidays on. Don't, well. don't tell Don that. Every time he, that he sees a program, it tells him to press the red button, he turns the telly off. He just can't work it out. <laughs> um, so that would be, that would be my, uh, my sort of message to 
to myself is you know and and, and even worse now right uh, do you not and i do it with my kids doesn't matter what it's you know just yeah. don't listen to it it's Easy. nonsense so before we go um obviously we're big on mental health um as we alluded before dodgers dodgers rugby is there for mental health martial men's minds what advice would you give to those who are struggling at the moment, given the current climate, whether it's work, rugby, just lockdown? What advice would you give to these people who are suffering and what would you say and how to combat it and what help they need to go get? Yeah, I mean, I can only speak from, um, you know, mm. a, a wee bit of experience on it. And, uh, and, you know, exercise is number one for me, just getting out, whether it's a dog walk or... or um, run playing golf i did you know um this afternoon just did nine holes just and with the dog just to just to get my head right i you know i, I just say exercise is, is key and then the, the, the second point really for me is um i always entrusted people and found a good mentor or found you know somebody that could could help me it didn't have to be a best friend or whatever but somebody you trust you know with advice and everything and so talking is number one picking up the phone and speaking to to somebody um is is so vital just talking um you know and finding somebody that will listen well and you know obviously give give the right advice but um if you bottle it up um it's going to get worse um you know if you don't exercise it's going to get even worse um just getting out there talking is 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 really my experience i don't i'm not you know a psychologist but um that that does uh, help and work work for me um yeah and what you know whether or not you you can find in somebody that has similar symptoms or has gone through similar things or somebody that hasn't you know just just find that right person for for you excellent no, great advice great advice Andrew, Brilliant. privilege uh, having uh, what i would say is rugby royalty on the uh, very much podcast. so Thank you yeah. very much for joining us and hopefully we can get you back on when uh, rugby starts on and we can get some uh, insights onto that and obviously once lockdown's finished we can see how uh, our business is doing. Obviously I'll be keeping an eye on, on business given my, <laughs> given my field of work but yeah, <laughs> thank you for joining us tonight. Absolute pleasure, thanks for having me. Thank, yes. Thanks for coming on, brilliant. Thanks very much. No worries. Cut. Guys, take care. <laughs>